Season two, episode two, whatever works with Jasmine McDonald. Me and my staff of Jasmine McDonald, me, myself, and I are very, very grateful you're here. Welcome to the episode. Today we have a super special guest. I'm going to do a special intro for her after, after this, but if you are new to the podcast, we're so happy to have you. Please like, follow, share, and review it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. If you send it to a friend, I would be so grateful. If you want to throw me a dollar or two a month, I would be grateful for that too. But I don't need the financial compensation. I do this because I enjoy doing it and the connection that comes from it. So if you like it and you send it to a friend, I would be, that's the most important thing to me, frankly. So please do that if you can, if you're enjoying it and um, get ready for uh, some more information about this podcast coming up, the episode itself, and then we're going to meditate as always. Stay tuned. Trigger warning, domestic violence and assault. So this is a really special episode because I found this guest via LinkedIn after seeing her interviews in a couple of true crime shows. She has an incredible story and her name is Rose Ryan and she's a hero. Rose grew up in an abusive household. She was constantly told that she was unwanted. She received beatings constantly and she suffered other deplorable acts of physical and mental violence. Her childhood primed her to fall into the clutches of yet another abusive man. As a teenager, Rose lived with and dated an older man, and his name was Michael Cartier. He physically, emotionally, and mentally abused her. He threatened to kill her multiple times, and he put her life in danger more than once. Rose narrowly escaped with little to no support from her family and brought Michael to justice in the Boston legal system. Shortly after Rose broke free from Michael Cartier, he shot his girlfriend at point blank range in public in Brighton, Massachusetts, execution style in the back of the head. To elude capture, Michael Cartier then shot himself. So today you'll hear a story about how Rose recovered from a violent adolescence and childhood and how she's thrived since. She escaped Michael Cartier and she could have been the person that ended up getting murdered. And we'll get into that as well. She ended up going to school. She worked her way through school. She graduated summa cum laude, meaning with highest distinction and in the episode, Rose mentioned she was magna cum laude, but upon further research, I'm correcting her and giving credit where credit is due. So she got the highest honor in political science, and then she proceeded to go to law school. So she's a professional woman. She has a beautiful child that she takes care of, and um, she has thrived and become the woman she's wanted always to be. And I don't want to give away the whole story in the whole episode, but Rose really made a massive difference in how women are supported in these types of situations. And we'll definitely get into that. So I want to just say again that this is some heavy material. So if this episode is not for you, totally understand, um, skip it and you know, you'll listen to the next one or not. So, and as always, we got some meditation at the end. So if you want to just kind of skip to that part, we get it. 
that said, here's the incredible story of uh, Rose Ryan. Hi. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Good. You look so nice. Do you work from oh. Do you work from home? I do. I work from home, and I I actually yesterday was at my hairdresser. So I oh, I have a cat that looks exactly like the one that just walked by. <laughs> Her name is Raja. She's probably gonna be joining us. That's fine. <laughs> are you Are you okay with me recording our Zoom as well? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Okay. Thanks for asking. Recording in progress. Oh, of course. Oh, recording in progress. She's like an official. Hi. Yes. Hello. Did I say oh, West Coast or did I say East? Oh, you must have mistyped. I thought you said you're on the West Coast. Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, when I got divorced, I was like, damn it, I'm stuck in San Diego. I want to move back. I'm from Massachusetts. Yeah. But the reality is I like to visit. I don't think I'd, I'd want to. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm here now, though, with my daughter, who is nine, and at least until she gets out of high school. Yeah. Right. And then I can go wherever I want to go. Um, yeah. So. Do you think you'll get married again? It was this the only time you were ever married? No, I was married once before when I was, like, 21. Oh. No, I will never get married again. I doubt I will ever live with a man again. I yeah. always say... I don't need, I don't ever want to pick up a man's underwear from off the floor again. I'm done. I'm so happy just me and my little girl yeah. or me alone. Mm -hmm. Like I could see myself with a significant other who lives in his own place. Away, <laughs> I, far away. I don't need to live with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't so. live, I've never been married. I feel like I've, I kind of drank the Kool-Aid and like I I'm was born in Canada and Carrie is, is Carrie is really where I live, which is like a golf ish community a lot of massachusetts jersey connecticut um mm. you know have moved down obviously canada yankees and above you know just northerners but mm -hmm. it's still got the southern kind of patriarchal like you know marry your high school you know marry your college I and i never did no, that i am i it, i think it's funny because as a young girl and growing up i never thought about when I get married, my I was like, no, I want to go to college. I want to be a professor. I want to be a writer. Yeah. I don't ever want to get married and have children. Like it was not wow. a focus whatsoever for yeah. me. Yeah. That's Which interesting. was, uh, I was like the rebel of the family because I'm the youngest of nine in a very traditional, like my mom's first generation was first generation Sicilian Catholic. My dad was Irish Catholic. Oh, wow. I have three older sisters that got married out of high school. Mm -hmm. It's like you didn't move out of the house unless it was to get married. It's like I was raised, like when growing up, people that I grew up with, I felt like I had very little in common with because my parents were so much older. Mm -hmm. So it was like I was raised by a different generation. Mm -hmm. Kind of like your so, grandparents. It felt like. Yeah, it was like I was raised by their grandpa their grandparents' generation. Right. Um, right. Yeah, that's interesting. That's it's weird yeah. how life kind of shakes out cuz I don't now in my I'm 32 and so in my as every passing year and even sometimes passing day I feel like I am learning who I actually am without the messaging of do what, you know. Mm -hmm. I was raised yeah. Catholic as well, went to Catholic school. Um 
we're not Italian, but we're Scottish and French. And so, I mean, yeah, lots of drinking, lots of, you know, do this is a, the, the way you go and do things. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I've never, I don't have children. I've never been married. And I think kind of like the universe is making those decisions, the, my truest, like what I would actually want, you know, kind of, mm -hmm. I don't know if we'll see what happens. I'm not like jonesing to have a baby. That's not been my experience, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, if it happens or it doesn't happen, I think I'll be okay. I'm sure you will be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I totally hear you on the man stuff. I'm like, I look, sometimes I'm like, I'm lonely. And like, I like look around and I'm like, mm, I don't want any boy items around my house. Like, I don't like yeah. having like man things that men own, like boy under, like you said, underwear or just gross. Yeah. I just feel that it's rare to find a man. Like there's a great New Yorker cartoon that it's like, you know, as soon as a woman gets married, you take on a, a huge burden and a man's life stays the same. Right. It's rare to find a couple where it's really egalitarian mm -hmm. and he, you know, I'm a professional woman. I always have been, mm -hmm. but I've always done the majority of house care, like everything. Like they say, what is the, the word? Uh, not emotional labor, the domestic labor, but also, um, like there is a thing called decision fatigue where it's like, Oh yeah. Go to the fucking grocery store and buy groceries. Don't call me 30 times. Like I don't want to be your mother too. Sure. That's been experience with men. Like it's, it's rare. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's rare to not have that experience is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think like lowering my expectations and my expectations now are like, I believe in love and all that. Like, I'm not like a spinster. I have been I before. do too. I believe, I do yeah. believe in love and I'm a, I'm very sappy that way. But like, I feel like you don't need to be married to have a baby with somebody. No. Like when I first had my daughter, I was like, this is the happiest time of my life. Mm -hmm. I just was, wish he wasn't here. <laughs> like I, I wanted to get divorced right after I brought her home, but I didn't because... I had to, you know, the guilt of he's the father of my child. Right. You don't leave the father of your child. Sure. And we went to therapy and I remember I had a female therapist and in, in front of him, I would say, he is the father of my child. I will never leave him. And then I had a session and she's like, Rose, you got to stop saying that. You got to stop saying that in front of him. You got to stop saying that to yourself. Like, but it was so imprinted on my brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He did. He served his purpose kind of. Yes. So... Wow. Well, I'm like so grateful that you're even willing to talk to me. And it's funny because, and we can make this whatever you want to. So like, I'm sure this happens a lot where, you know, you're on a episode of a TV show and it becomes about that. And, but you, mm. you had a, you have sounds like a very full life beyond that horrendously traumatic experience. So we don't even have to touch on that if you don't want to. Um, I'm just yeah when I think about it I feel like it's not that it's a different life and that I'm completely separate from it but it just feels like whatever it was a chapter of my life or a season of my life mm -hmm. um you know obviously I'm in a very different place and I think you know I feel empathy for the teenager that I was right and and especially now that I have a daughter yeah I go wow 
look at how could people, my own family treat me that way? Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and it, it uh, you know, and so what happened was for years after I, you know, I went to different types of therapy to talk therapy, cognitive behavior, because I had PTSD. Like I would jump at loud noises. Sure. I felt like I still jump at loud noises. Um, I felt like I was going to have, I wasn't going to live long. Like I thought I was going to, I was always thinking I'm, I'm not going to, so all, all the PTSD symptoms. Sure. Um, and when I was married to the, my husband that I had my child with mm-hmm. in the beginning, I was happy when I was pregnant. I was so freaking happy. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was driving home from work one day and I was like, Oh, that's in the past. Like I hadn't thought about it in years. Yeah. Um, and I was driving home from work one day and I was like eight months. Oh no. Oh, earlier. Cause it was when I found out she was a girl. Mm. I found out I was having a girl and I was driving home and I had like, uh, like a flashback. It was like all of a sudden, all these scenes of him, Mike Cartier yeah. started. So I had to pull the car over. Wow. It's like, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. So I immediately contacted a therapist because I'm like, I'm about to be a mother. I want to make sure I'm dealing with this. Sure. And what she said was it, it was just triggering to find out you're having a little girl. Mm. Right. Because you you were that little girl once. Well, the, you know, even the way I was brought up was emotionally and physically abusive. And then he was re- pretty much my first boyfriend. Mm. And then after that, I kept, you know, picking assholes until I worked my way through it as far as. Yeah. You know, experiences with men. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it it all came up again. So when they, my daughter was two when that, it was, a, I forget the name of the film company. It was in, uh, I think they were London-based. Okay. They reached out to me and said, oh, we want to do this. And they gave me examples and blah, blah, blah. And so I was mostly concerned for my daughter. Like I asked my pediatrician, she's two. Is it okay for her to? Fly to London. I was more concerned about her. Yeah. And they flew us um, and we stayed in a an apartment in Kensington for like a week. To shoot that episode of. To shoot that episode. Okay. And then every day they pick me up at freaking 5.30 a.m. So here I am. She's two. I'm still breastfeeding. I've got her on the U.S. schedule. Sure. So she's going to sleep about 3 a.m. London time. Mm. And they pick me up at 5.30 a.m., drive me off to um, some abandoned military base. Because uh, that's where the setting was. It, if you looked at the, it was like I. They interviewed me, and they didn't show it, but they filmed me when they were interviewing me, like sitting in a chair. And there were a few clips when they first put it out of me talking on their website. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually a cathartic experience because I felt like it was the first time that I sat and talked about it and answered questions about it in front of a group of people because there's the person interviewing me and all the people, I don't know, maybe seven to 10 people. Yeah. And I got a normal response of, Oh my gosh, this is horrible. Yeah. Because when it happened, I didn't get that response. I got screwed up responses from you shouldn't be out with your boyfriend and stuff like that. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, um, not even that before he went after Kristen and murdered her, Mm -hmm. Um, he attacked me one day on the subway. Like I had broken up with him mm-hmm. and, um, I was in Boston 
And like out of nowhere, he appeared on the subway. Stalking you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, I'm done and I'm going to kill you. And he followed me to the subway station and I was just trying, you know, and I thought I had lost him. Oh, oh, he followed me down to the platform. It was in Boston, I remember, on the red line. Mm -hmm. And I went up, he was close by to me and I went up to an MBTA worker, a subway worker. And I said, do you see this guy right here? And he's like, right next to me. I said, he's following me. Please throw him off the subway. I'm not safe. He says he's going to attack me. And the subway guy, it was an older guy. His hands were, he was probably in his 50s, he was older to me at the time. His hands were shaking. He was going to the booth. To, he was afraid of him. Oh, wow. So when he went to the booth to supposedly call somebody, Mike disappeared. And then I went, I went, uh, had to go down a flight of steps to get on the train to take me to my parents' house where I was living at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I turned around and he punched me in the mouth. Oh, God. And he punched me in the mouth and I fell down. Actually, he came at me with a pair of scissors. I had really long hair. And I smacked the scissors away like he went to, like he was going to mm. cut my hair on my face. I smacked the scissors away, punched me in the mouth, and I fell down. And I remember, and it was like rush out. And I was standing there crying, please, someone call the police. And a young college guy stopped to help me. And I remember his friend said, come on, let's go. Don't bother oh, with her. Oh, my God. But thankfully, that guy stopped and called the police. Yeah. And I went home. And, um, you know, my mom was at home. The police dropped me off at home. My older brother, one of my older brothers was there. And my mom was like, you got to stay up because my dad always worked two jobs. So he was coming home at 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. from second shift at General Electric. Yeah. You got to stay up and tell your father you got to stay up. And I was like, you know, I'm 17 or 18. I can't remember how old it was. Uh, just graduated high school. I'm like, all right, yeah. I'm going to stay up. I'm going to tell him everything. So he sits down, I tell him everything, and he literally leans back and laughs at me. And he said, that's what you get, kid, for going into Boston. Like, the way they portrayed him, it was spot on. Yeah. You know? Like, when I moved out, I moved out after high school. I was a straight-A student. I was an honor roll student. I was a star athlete. And I got um, an almost full scholarship. I need like $1,000 to Suffolk undergrad mm-hmm. journalism program. And he's, he wouldn't give it to me. And back then, you had to have your parents uh, co-sign a student loan. Mm-hmm. They've since changed the laws. But he had to turn over his tax returns and sign a student loan. You wouldn't do it. He'd pay for a wedding. He wouldn't pay for college. Oh my God. And so once I realized that, I was like, screw this. So I moved out right. at that age and started dating this lunatic. Yeah. Um, and even then when I moved out and I think they put this in the show when he moved, when I moved out, I remember, um, all my crap fit like in the back of a pickup truck. And I remember thinking, I don't have anything Mm -hmm. like this is all I have. Mm -hmm. And I moved into, it was like a woman's boarding house where you have a room it, and you sh- and there was an older woman that lived there and kind of looked over everybody. You just had a room. Yeah. And the, it was a dining hall and a library and stuff like that. And uh, on the ride there, my dad said to me, you know, kid, everybody thinks you're a whore. Because oh the only reason an unmarried woman would move out of the house is so she can have sex. Right. Just like, fuck you. I can't say fuck you because he would have hit me. Sure. But that's what I was dealing with. Yeah. And, you know, I had five older brothers and all of them except one 
would kick me around and hit me on occasion or just be emotionally abusive, say, nobody loves you, we wish you weren't born type of thing. It was a shitty, shitty household. My mom loved me. Uh, I always felt my mom loved me and I was very close to my mom because I was the youngest and named after her. Mm-hmm. And my dad never like physically abused her. Mm. But uh, what's surprising. I know it was a it was a very unhealthy place to grow up and I just wanted to get the hell out of there. Sure. So. Yeah. Well, you did what you had to do to survive, right? Like, yeah, but I was totally primed for that abusive relationship. 100%. Yeah. He could, he could, they can smell it on you. Yeah. Was he ever nice? Like when did the love bombing end and the abuse begin? How long did that take? Um, well, I remember as at that age, I would go into Boston. It was all about music. Sure. I was going into Boston to go to concerts with, and I had a girlfriend, Claudia, that would go in with me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, um, you know, a punk rock group, different different groups. And, we, you know, you just show up in your short skirt and they let you in to a 21 club and sure. like mosh pit type thing, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. So somehow I met him and his group of friends and he was like, the cool guy who was in charge. Right. So cool to date him. Sure. And you probably uh, felt protected, right? Like in my experience, when I've dated abusive men before, when the asshole likes me, when I'm protected by the bully. Yeah. He was a tough guy, right? Then I feel safe. Right. Like, and what I don't understand, especially in a, at a younger age and as a kid like, I would argue that you were a kid, you know. Um, I was 17. I was yeah, a kid. as a baby. Um, we don't think about how it taps into, like, the serotonin and oxytocin in your brain that you didn't get as a kid from when your parent didn't love you. And it's like, finally, mm-hmm. this parent loves me. It's like this. And then, you know, I'm protected by the cool guy, the bully guy, because he, he's kind of a badass, but he'll protect me. And what I didn't connect for a long time is like that person will eventually start treating me like shit too. And it took a while for me oh, to yeah. like realize no. that. And, I, and like looking back at it, mm-hmm. because I didn't have any support Absolutely. and I didn't believe when from a young age, I was told we hate you. Well, you wish you were never born from my older brothers yeah. and from my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't say I wish you were never born, but I had a moment I remember um, and it's so, it's like, so it, it surprises me how vivid I still have this in my mind. Um, I was probably about six or seven years old. And I think I started to remember these things because my daughter's now nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like six or seven. So my older siblings were all getting together to go out to a concert and they're all leaving the house. The ones that were still living at home, except for me. And my dad was standing in the hallway laughing, saying, oh, great, you're all leaving. Get out of the house. You're all leaving. I can't wait till you all move out. Like, he would always say, I can't wait till you all get out of this house. It's like, well, why did you have us all? Yeah, exactly. And I remember standing there, and I said, but you want me, Dad, right? You want me to stay? And he turned around. And he said, no, I want you gone, too. And I remember just, like, the blood draining. It's like, oh, he doesn't want me. Ugh. So I always felt that from a very young age. But... I knew that this guy was abusive. Mm. I knew he was abusive. Yeah. I knew that he, his ex-girlfriend had a restraining order against him. Mm-hmm. 
And for a long time, I was embarrassed to tell anybody. So yeah, he was, he paid attention to me, but it was that never like a lovey relationship. Mm-hmm. He was always mean. Right. You know? Um, and I remember one time we were waiting for the, for the train or something. And he was talking about, I don't know how we got into this, but at one point he said, someday, he said, someday I'm going to hit you and you won't leave me. And I laughed and I said, were you kidding me? He said, if you ever hit me, I will leave you. Yeah. And I remember in my brain thinking, but I will be good. Not like his ex-girlfriend. So he won't ever want to hit me. Like I'm going to be good. Right. But did play into he needed my help. Right. He was an orphan. Mm. He lived in different foster homes. He didn't get his high school diploma. I was going to help him get his GED. He played into nobody had ever loved him. Right. And I was going to be the one that loved him and saved him and changed him. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So that was the hold that he had on me. Um, wow. But I always knew, like, a part of me was sort of always detached because I remember I had a notebook in my bedroom and I wrote down his name and address and what he looked like. And if anything ever happens to me, this is the person to look for. You know, so there was a part of my brain that was detached from what was going on. Sure. And you knew, Uh, you know, you knew what was... It plays on a lot of different stuff, right? It's being good enough to be loved, good enough to change them into not an abusive person, and and then also being picked, you know, and also being protected. And also on top of all of those things, you know, you're becoming an adult and your sexuality and you want a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Every girl wants a boyfriend. I mean, you know, every Mm -hmm. heteronormative girl wants a boyfriend. I'll say that. So it's like... At that age, I remember being suffering because I wasn't, didn't have a boyfriend. It's like, where's my boyfriend? You know, where's my knight in shining armor who's going to save me and take me out of this hellhole? Like, and mm. it plays onto that too. So I definitely. And he relate. was cool. Yeah. And he always was able to like get us into the movies for free, get us free breakfast somewhere, get us into whatever nightclub. Because he scared Cause the shit out of the owner of the business probably. And, and yeah, he, but he knew everybody and they were probably a little scared of him. Yeah, yes. you're right. And you were like, wow, we're famous. And he's like, you know, behind him, like really. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so happy that you survived that. Like that's, and so you were in a relationship with him that was not long, long. under six months, but it felt like so long. Wow. And the funny thing too, was when I finally split up off from him after he attacked me and I pressed charges and all that. Mm. And we went to court. Oh, and my father also told me don't do, that night. Don't don't bother. Don't bother. Get a restraining order. Just don't bother. Just don't do anything. So I did that alone. I went and got a restraining order alone. God, I went so to court brave. alone until finally my my older sister, who's about fifteen years older than me, came with me to court. Wow. Uh, and he yeah. And so he final. So Mike finally. What was the straw that, what brought you to court after six months of an abusive relationship? The attack in the subway. Yeah, okay. With the scissors and the, wow. So it was, you know, assault with a deadly weapon, weapon, right? Yeah, a deadly weapon, for Um, sure. And he went, they're like, he ended up in some psychiatric unit 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't care where he goes as long as it's not here. And I remember I used to pray, I hope he kills himself. Sure. I hope he commits suicide. Sure. Because I never felt safe. Of course. Even when he was away. And so I was, I remember I was at home. I was living in a studio apartment. Uh, however much later it was that he. Are you in Boston? And you're still in Boston? Yeah, I was in Salem in the suburbs. Okay. I was That's in Salem, right. Massachusetts, trying to take classes at night, trying to put myself through school mm-hmm. while I worked during the day. And uh, I saw it on the news and I got so pissed because that Mike Cartier, you know, he murdered her, Kristen Lardner in cold blood. Yeah. And some idiot that supposedly knew him said, oh, he really loved her. It was a crime of passion. And I got so pissed. I called up the news station and I, and I said, that wasn't a crime of passion. That's bullshit. He's wow. done this. You know, because they framed it as, oh, he was so in love with her. That's and so then toxic. Kristen, yeah. And her father was a famous Washington Post reporter, George Lardner. Mm. His, his father was a famous writer. So he came to Boston and got in contact with me because I actually wanted to send it to you, but I can't find it online anymore. I wrote an article that got published in the Boston Review, okay. which is... MIT Literary Journal, yeah. and it, I just, it was an essay about my experience. Yeah. That's how George Lardner found me, and he ended up writing wow. a series for the Washington Post, and he won the Pulitzer Prize. Really? And there's a book called The Stalking of Kristen oh, that wow. got published as well. Um, but I remember when that happened, and I met her father, I remember thinking, I wish he was my dad. Mm. And I also felt it should have been me. Of course. Because nobody cared about me. This girl had a family that loved her and cared about her. Right. So there was a lot of guilt there mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. No, you know why? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was. I was a mess. Yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, but I also escaping. felt. I remember part of me felt uh, I need to get through college. I need to get a degree because now I have a second chance at life. Like I could have died here. For sure. So I. I put myself through undergrad at night, magna cum laude at UMass Boston in political science. Wow. Focused on international relations, and I put myself through law school. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, the, yeah. the survivor's guilt and and just, and it's such a, for, all that happened to you at such a formative time, too. So I really, I want to highlight that. Like, I was inspired to find you, and because I remember them touching on that briefly. And then I, you know, found you on LinkedIn and I had seen your episode a few years ago and then watched it again. And I, I reached out to you in that, that evening. So I guess that was a a month or two ago. You did go to law school and that that's just a beautiful story of, you know, resiliency and you had everything stacked against you, but you are not only a survivor, like you're thriving. So I think it's just really inspirational. It's a beautiful story. It's a really beautiful story. And so. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I, you know, although I am divorced, and here's another funny thing. The father of my child is, he's a, for, so for a long time after dating Cartier, I think he was like six foot one. Yeah. I was very scared of men. So I would only date short, skinny men. I would not <laughs> date guys. And, uh, you know, I ended up, you know, thankfully I didn't date anybody after him who physically abused me, Mm -hmm. but I dated mentally abusive guys who were, you know, put me down or whatever. Um, 
There's a lot and of them out there, married. unfortunately. Pardon? There's a lot of them out there, you know. You, yeah. And um, yeah, there's although, a lot of them. You know, although I did get divorced from my daughter's dad, he was not physically or mentally abusive. And he, but he's six, three, uh, I don't know what, like 200 something pounds. He's a big guy, mm -hmm. but he's super gentle. And I think that's what attracted me to him mm -hmm. was that he was so sweet and gentle and he has never punched or physically been in a fight in his life. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that he would be a gentle, sweet, gentle dad. And when I was pregnant, I would have nightmares and that I was having my baby with one of my exes and I would wake up and go, Oh, thank God. It's like, yeah. 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 So you survived that too. Yeah. This is a, but funny. you know, I think it's a combination of things. Like I feel like now, like when I, you know, when I first had my daughter, obviously I went through um, a difficult time because of the flashbacks and things. Right. Sure. So I worked with therapist at that time, but I loved being her mom. And I still like, I feel like the best part of my life began when I had my little girl. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now that my, you know, I'm divorced and I feel like I'm starting a new chapter in my life now where it's, there are still good things left for me. Cause when I first got divorced, I felt like, okay, my job is to provide and be a mother. Sure. And like my life is all about that. Right. I didn't think about myself as a separate person from my kid. Sure. Um, but I think it was a combination of many things over the years, like going to the talk therapy. And when I moved out here to California 13 years ago, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, just being more open and exposed to different, like Ayurvedic principles. And mm -hmm. I got certified as a yoga instructor, but the certification was a lot of spiritual work involved in it, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I feel like it's a combination of all these different things that have put me in a better place mm -hmm. um, just to be a better mom and to be um, more kind of forgiving for myself. Mm -hmm. Because it's hard to overcome, like when you're raised in a very authoritarian way. I, I remember when my daughter, like when she just started walking and barely talking, um, they want to please you. So she was always falling around and I said, okay, put that down there. She put it down. And I had a rule that her and the, the dog were not allowed in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. She was crawling. And I was like, oh, oh, stop right there. Stop right there. And it was like the first time she defied me was she looked at me like, oh, yeah. And mm -hmm. she, but, and I remember feeling a wave of anger. Yeah. It's like, whoa, yeah, where is this coming from? Like, I wanted to, like, wanting to hit her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, what the hell? What, where is this coming from? Sure. Because it's just to break that cycle takes work. Sure. The unlearning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'm surprised by it. Like, this is the person I love the most in the world. Yeah. Why is it so, why am I so strongly feeling like I want to smack the shit out of her? <laughs> yeah. And I, you know? I think even the most, like, in alignment, I meditated for yeah, 20 yeah. minutes. And even... <laughs> I fucking told you not to fucking walk in the kitchen. Well, like, you know, in your mind, also, it's like you want to. Yeah. And they also say, too, when you've been raised in an abusive situation, when you become a parent, sometimes you try so hard to be perfect. Mm. Like when she was younger, I was so focused on being the best mom I could be. 
Um, and like every day I was like, okay, what did I do wrong today? How can I do better tomorrow? And I was really hard on myself for the littlest things. Yeah. Um, but you know, I had to work through it and go, I'm doing the best I can every day. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not perfect. <laughs> um, no. So. Wow. So what but you- the thing that I don't know if they mentioned this, I can't remember if they mentioned the documentary, mm-hmm. but the thing that I was really proud of is during that time, it was in the early nineties, there was a wave of domestic violence happening. Mm-hmm. And the publicity that we got from this case and George Lardner's writing and I, yeah. there were some changes made to the Massachusetts legal system. Oh, wow. Like, this happening, if you showed up in court alone as a woman or anybody trying to get a restraining order against an abuser, you were on your own. And now there are victim witness advocates there to help you through the process, right? Wow. Um, and they changed some of the regulations in Massachusetts because, um, I, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but essentially because Massachusetts isn't just one court system, there's all like you, you could be arrested for abuse in Brockton and then abuse somebody in Salem, all these, and they weren't connected. Mm. So a judge could be looking at somebody who's got three prior offenses or, and, and it wasn't connected so that they, they didn't have the ability to say, lock this guy up for a few nights till we figure out what the hell is going on. Sure. So that got changed. And the yeah. disgusting thing is, I think it was like a week before he murdered Kristen, he finished an outpatient. Anger uh, management. And for abu- Yeah. Okay. So it was in there. Anger management. He oh, no, I'm guessing. I'm not sure if it's. Oh, it was well, in there. yeah. And then he went and killed her. Um, yeah. Because, you know, she had broken up with him, but she didn't leave the city. And she was working in Boston and like, I removed myself from that location. Yeah. And I think that's what saved me. Like I said, I ran into him that one day and then I never went, I was terrified to go back into the city Yeah, because who knows where he was. And there was, he had like the attitude, like, this is my city and like the cool place to be is Boston. I run this motherfucker. Yeah. 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 Um, Wow. That's so, and I do awesome. feel like I went through a phase in my life when, whenever I met somebody new, whether it was like a partner or somebody I was going to be close friends with, like, I had to tell them this story. Mm. Like, this was my story. Right. And now it's like, yes, it's something that happened to me. And I'm, yes, it affects who I became longer term, mm-hmm. just like my childhood did, but it's not defining of me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel moved from it in a healthy way. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's more. Yeah. They don't, these people don't define you and, and it doesn't have to be the end of your story. Right. It's just a kind of a part of it. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, there's a lot of psychological things going on, right? So he would say to me, you didn't tell your sister, did you? Like, I was the one causing a problem if I told anybody what he was doing to me. But even at that time, I remember thinking, I didn't know at age 17 that I could just go to the police and say, this guy's been beating the shit out of me. I really thought 
that I had to have somebody witness it because I didn't think anybody would believe me. Right. So that's why it wasn't until he attacked me on the subway and that kid stopped to help me and the police came, you know, um, and also I remember the first time he hit me, uh, and then uh, it was in, it was always in public. It was in Boston, on Boston common in public. Wow. And, um, why do you think that was, do you think it's like a power trip? Maybe. Um, I mean, it was just the circumstances of that day too, but mm-hmm. it's funny because, you know, I'm 17. I had come from a very, um, restrictive household where I wasn't allowed to go to the prom. They didn't let me go out on dates. Very often friends would show up and like my mom would say, okay, you can go out to whatever with your friends. You know, I wasn't dating anybody. It was a car full of kids. Right. They'd they'd be like, all right, my dad would be there. Sometimes I get all dressed up. I'm about to go up the door and my father would say, hey, seven o'clock, it's too late to go out. Oh my God. And I have to go up to my car full of friends and say, I can't go. What? So a lot of dating him was rebelling against that. And my mom was super like, oh, my poor, where are you? What are you doing? You know, I didn't, there weren't cell phones. She was always worried about me. She was always hovering. And I remember at that age, I was just like, I just want to get the hell out of this house. I want to get away from my mother. She's always on my back. She's a, um, so that day I had gone to meet him in the Boston Common and there were police on horseback. And I, I, I wish I had that essay. I, cause I wrote about this in the essay and he picked me up and he had walked to meet me, he picked me up and he spun me in the air and he put me in a city trash can. It's a big metal trash can. Yeah. And it was so high that I couldn't get out. So I had to tip it over to get out. And a female police on horseback came over and yelled at me for tipping the trash can. And I was like, all right. So I put the trash can up and I was pissed. And so I started to stomp away from him. Mm -hmm. And he's Mm -hmm. like, where are you going? I'm, I came all this way to meet you. My feet hurt. And I was so angry. And I was like, just leave me alone. I'm going home. And he came up from behind me and punched me in the back of the head. And I was shocked. Yeah. Truly, I was shocked the first time he punched me. And it's Boston Common on a Saturday. There's a lot of people around. And so now I'm crying my eyes out as I'm walking and he's like right up on me. He's clearly following me mm-hmm. and he's yelling at me and this and that. And I was like, what are you going to do? Hit me again. He says, okay. He punches me again in the side of the head. Oh my God. And I get to the subway station and as I'm about to go in the door, he grabs me and then, you know, so it was always, he's angry at me or, Oh, I'm so sorry. Blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to get away from him. Yeah. And, like, give me a kiss. Just give me a kiss and I'll you get on the subway. So I gave him a kiss. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I can't believe I just, I felt complicit. Well, I just kissed him. Right. He punched me and then I kissed him. Right. Like what, I am guilty as well. Mm-hmm. But I remember the feeling of when he first hit me, Um, I was surprised at the feeling that I had that I was like, I just want my mom. I just mm-hmm. wanted my mom. Yeah. And I had tried so hard to get away from her, but that feeling of like, mm-hmm. oh, I just want my mom. And it surprised me because I was like a tough teen. <laughs> yeah, very tough. Uh, but, and then when I got home, I couldn't tell her. I couldn't tell her. Yeah. It's terrible. 
I'm getting blubbery because my mom is dead. She died in 2010. But, but yeah, so there was a lot of that. And like when I broke up with him, I remember after I broke up with him before he caught up with me and we went to court being in my room at my mom's house. Uh, Cause I ended up moving back in with my parents. I think, yeah. uh, you know, I'd stayed at that uh, boarding house for girls and I moved back in with my parents. Yeah. Um, I remember feeling confused. Like I had nobody to talk to, but I felt confused because I didn't want to be with him. He had abused me, but I was felt really confused because I missed him mm-hmm. because I felt like I didn't have anybody else. Right. Truly felt, and he had convinced me that he was the only person that loved me. Right. And it was just, you know, it was really a difficult emotional time to go through. And I obviously had no support, but I think. Wow. Unbelievable. And then, yeah, that, you know, so you have that guilt, but I, I think it was Maya Angelou that just said, look, don't, when you know better, you do better. Like, right. accept that you made decisions in the past based on what you knew and what you could do then. And don't beat yourself up about it. Yeah. So, needless to say, I'm raising my little girl very open, very feminist. You don't have to hug anybody. You don't want to. Your body is yours. That's right. And, and like, this is your vagina. Don't be afraid to say it. Yeah. Um, don't say, you don't need to say tutu or hee-haw or... You know, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, about how much you love your body and yeah. no, you don't hug somebody you don't want to. No. And I, you know, I've tried to give her knowledge at, in an age appropriate way. Sure. Um, That's tough to navigate too. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so wild, you know, and it's, and it's hard when one parent, is safe and you love them and they're your only what feels like an only respite possible as you know lesser of two evil you know what you know she might be on your back or whatever but at least she's not telling you that she doesn't want you know it's like this i always felt that my mom loved me sure like she was so so it was really hard for me when she passed away because i felt like that was the only person in the world that truly loved me yeah Yeah. Um, and regarding my dad, she would like console me when he's telling me, you know, who do you know, basically you're raised, it's the Irish Catholic thing. Who do you think you are? Sure. You're worthless. Right. He would say, Oh, you know, don't let him upset you. He just says that because he wants to motivate you. So you can say, I'm going to show him. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, when you tell a kid from the time they're little, that they're ugly, they're worthless. You worse they weren't worth. They weren't born. Yeah. They just believe it. They yeah. don't say you know, they just yeah. internalize that. And it's also like these people, I, I need these people to have food, shelter, clothing, you know, yeah. I am, go? I, I rely on these people to protect me and to feed me and to keep me alive. So I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make sure that they feed me and they don't kick me out on the street. You know, even if it's subconscious, like we will fawn, light, fright, free, freeze, fawn right. to do, and I'm a fawner. Absolutely- to be on your good graces, like, which is yeah. perfect for someone who's like a bully, you know, they kind of have you as their little lap dog for a time until they turn on you in the end. But yeah, I mean, I will, you will, anything that's not, I read somewhere that anything when you're a child and you are dependent upon an adult for the things I mentioned, the, the hierarchy of needs, yeah. anything that's not nurturing is traumatic. 
So nurturing mm-hmm. is not neutral, right? Anything that's not, you're doing so great. Like, I love you so much. Or like, oh, let's see. Oh, you had a boo-boo. Let's fix that. Like anything that's not nurturing, which I've, I'm i I'm a nerd about. I have a journalism degree as well, but um, I'm not a, I did not go to law school. So props to you. That's fantastic. I can't wait to talk to you about <laughs> that. Um, but, you know, nurturing is not just like, how's your day? Good, great. You know, it's loving, it's careful, it's warm, it's, you know, you're yeah. coddling the child almost. You're holding them. They're making sure they know that they're safe and loved. And it's not just like, oh, they had food. It's fine. You know, it's a different level. So anything that's not at that level is traumatic when you're a child. So, you know, hearing what you've went through, that's, that's a lot. So did you? Yeah. And yeah. Go ahead. No, no, Sorry. please. You, no, no, please. I was just going to say, I was thinking about, like I said, the work that I did out here in California. Yeah. Like they say, your body holds all that trauma. Mm. So if you're going to talk therapy, um, cause I, and, and I found like group therapy helped too, because saying it in front of, it's one thing to tell one person, but it's nothing to say it in front of a group of people. Cause you still have that idea that it's shameful. Sure. Right. Be able to openly talk about it. But I remember like, was it as bad as I think it is? Or, you know, don't we all go through everybody, you know? So it's validating to have people, oh my God, I can't believe that happened, you know? Yeah. So I started to go to like a restorative yin yoga with sound healing. And the first time Mm. I went, I just bawled my eyes out and I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. and and it was in a heated room and I'm like nobody I wasn't like loudly you know like like, nobody can see me you're like but like like, they say like your parasympathetic nervous system that's what you work on a lot in yoga and Mm -hmm. like you were saying fight or flight so Mm -hmm. when you when you're in a state of fear uh I forget what the chemicals in your that flood your brain right yeah Mm -hmm. that that affects stress right your entire stress and your entire body well like so if you're if a bear bear is coming at you this happens right it's the Mm. reptilian brain response wow but somebody you know what if every night the bear comes home like when you're a kid every night when dad comes home you're scared yeah i used to be scared at to go to bed at night and i used to be scared at nighttime as a kid and even into much later in life like when because i was always single living on my own Mm -hmm. And yes, I had this experience with this lunatic, but even, you know, I would come home and I would, I couldn't go to sleep until I checked all the closets and under the bed and then I could go to sleep. And it didn't occur to me till I was much older that my mom would be worn out after dealing with my older brothers and me. And she would talk to my dad when he came home from work at 11 o'clock at night and he would come upstairs and sometimes not even wake me up, just start hitting and punching me. Oh my God. Like, and I'm talking age like four, five, six. So, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night with a grown man hitting you. That's insanity. Of course you're afraid to go to bed because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And then of course my mom comes in the room. Oh, John, stop it. Stop it. It's like, well, maybe you shouldn't be telling him all these things. Right. As he kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. Because he would stop after work for a few drinks on the way home. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Was he yeah. drunk? Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yes. Like we never saw him visibly drunk. He, I mean, he, yes. Like all my siblings, except for maybe one or two venerate him like, Oh, dad was amazing. He raised nine children. He always worked two to three jobs. He did the best he could. It's like, 
yes, he gave us food and shelter, that, right? And yeah. yes, he came from a family he followed that was the laws. Poor. It's illegal yeah. to not feed your children. Also, by the way, <laughs> you know, like yeah. he did. He had the kids too. I mean, that's the yeah. other so thing. So he he was always working and providing, and mom stayed home to take care of all of us. But I remember when he passed away pulling out all the hidden bottles of alcohol in the basement. Wow. And my mom would be like, oh, my God, whose are those? I'm like, whose do you think they are, Mom? They're dad's. Yeah. yeah. Like, he would have, like, little nips of alcohol, and he'd put them in a drink, and he'd stop at a bar on the way home. But like I said, we never saw him physically drunk, visibly drunk. Mm-hmm. And my, my mom was always, my mom didn't really drink, and she was always on him if she saw him having a drink. Yeah. Because he would a family of alcoholics. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so he yeah. was, you know, kept it hidden. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when this happened, I got such a surreal response because I was, I was on Dateline NBC. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. on a few other programs being interviewed, but like my, I bump into an aunt or an uncle and they'd say, Oh, I saw you on Dateline. Mm. Oh my God, you should be a journalist. You were amazing. You're so well-spoken and you look so beautiful. They wouldn't even talk about why I was on date. Oh, wow. Like nobody would talk about. And I remember one of my older brothers actually said to me, you know, my friends keep asking me if that's you on television and I'm just embarrassed to say. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. My near-death experience is embarrassing to you. Right. Why are you embarrassed? Because you didn't bother to help your little sister? Yeah. You didn't ask me if I was okay. Yeah. When I told people about it, you literally laughed at me wow. and said I deserved it. You know? That's ridiculous. That's so horrible. It was horrible. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah, he's ashamed because he as he should be. Right. Yeah. And now the whole world knows what, what a jackass you are. Yeah. Yeah. So do, do so, you have relationships with them now? Your family now, your siblings. Uh, now I do. Um, I mean, they're all in Massachusetts, and I'm in California. Mm-hmm. And there's two brothers I don't haven't talked to since my daughter was born at all. Okay. I, I just don't have a relationship with them. Yeah. Um, but I have like a sister and a brother that I talk to more often. And lately, post COVID, I've been visiting mm. with my girl. Like we don't stay. We stay in a hotel. I don't stay with family. Yeah. But want her to know that she has a bigger family out there and uh yeah that's kind of you like visiting uh i don't know like i i don't have anything i feel that i don't have anything in common with them sure. in many ways um i'm the only one that went to college in my family mm-hmm. i'm the first one to go to college and i'm sure there's resentment life- there yeah. too you know there's resentment like oh rose went to rose thinks she's a well, I was always the black sheep. I was always right. being shamed because I moved out of the house without getting married. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had this happen to me. And then it was, oh, look at Rose, the career student. Mm-hmm. Because I was working different jobs during the day and going to school at night. Yeah. Wasn't until I graduated law school that all of a sudden, oh, my little sister, the lawyer. This is my little sister. She mm. graduated law school. I'm like, oh, okay. Now, now it's you <laughs> Now you're bragging probably, on me. Yeah. 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 It's ridiculous. Um, so. Yeah. That's so painful. Have you, have you found with your spiritual practice and your, um, so at the end of this podcast, every podcast of mine, uh, I just started this podcast in January. I do like a meditation 
because mm-hmm. meditation helps me so much and I need it to kind of experience the world as it is. And so with your spiritual practice, is it, would you say it's a huge part of your life or was it for a time as you were healing or what's that look like today? Um, I feel happiest when I am doing my, um, I guess they call them healthy habits. Mm-hmm. Like just making time for myself every morning. I mean, and it sounds silly because sometimes I, I think my biggest accomplishments lately is accepting that it's going to ebb and flow because mm. I was always all or nothing. Like I'm being super healthy. I'm doing everything I should or, oh, I'm off. I'm going in the opposite direction. Right. So now I'm in a better state of self-acceptance, I would say. Mm. Uh, more like loving my body as it is. Mm-hmm. Wearing shorts in the summer. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. simple things like that. Going yeah. to the beach and be like, this is how it is, man. I don't care. You yeah. know, this is- I have a bikini and, body because uh, I have a body and I'm wearing a bikini. And that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's getting up and drinking lemon water. Even if it's 10 minutes of meditation. Yeah. Like you said. Um, and um, I try to do yoga every day. A lot of it is yin yoga where it's r- relaxing into postures. Mm-hmm. And just always making time. I try to, being in California, San Diego, going for a hike, even if it's a short one. So being in nature, meditating, yoga. And um, I have sayings posted around my bathroom mirror, my daughter's mirror. But for me, the big thing is feeling safe, Mm -hmm. right? And and sometimes I still uh, catch myself. So part of my meditation is like, I am safe. I am safe. Like mm. it'll manifest it in different ways. Yeah. Uh, what's going to happen to me when I'm an old lady? Do I have enough for retirement? Mm-hmm. What if, you know, and not catastrophizing like, Oh, if I lose my job, we're going to lose this house. And then where are we going to live? Because it, you know, sure. Like sure. Yeah. And yeah. Going so down the fear. fear just working hard with the meditation, I think helps you to control your like they say, your thoughts can be like an insane puppy running around. Like, yeah. like you need to control your thoughts, just like just like you would train a puppy. Mm-hmm. You have to train your thoughts, right? So that you can see, okay, this is coming through. I see it. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to go down that crazy pathway. And right. um, gratitude practice is a big thing for me. Yeah, and especially with my little girl, pretty much every night I tell her. I'm so thankful to be your mom. And mm. I'm so grateful for this moment right now, like that the universe put me here yeah. and brought you to me or you chose me or however you want to say it, that we are here together yeah. right now. This is like, there's no place I'd rather be and there's nobody I'd rather be with. Mm. And I mean it. And like, she's nine. And I'm like, so before you know it, you're going to be grown up and having your own life. And I'm going to look back and remember when I had a little nine-year-old that wanted to sleep in my bed mm. and I'm so thankful to be with you right now. Cause I'm divorced. Um, I but so like I said, it. he's a kind and gentle, sweet dad who loves her. That's good. You know, I'm yeah. thankful for that. And so I just tell her, I'm so thankful I met and married your dad because I have you. Mm. <laughs> That's such a uh, gift to like, to be loving towards him to her. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because like I have pictures yeah. of him around the house and us together as a family around the house. And especially in our bedroom, she wanted to hang our wedding picture and our honeymoon picture. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, you can put those in your bedroom. And then I've got other pictures of 
the three of us together when she was a baby mm-hmm. because he's her dad. Sure. Right. So even if she's not sleeping at his house, he'll come and drive her to school or pick her up from school. So she gets to see him often. The main thing is the gratitude practice mm-hmm. and the physical really helps like the yoga mm-hmm. uh, and the hiking. And I, I'm picking, I've been, you know, just jogging and cycling. Yeah. Yeah. So I do go out of my way to model that. Like, I don't know, sometimes in the morning when my kid's not listening and I'll slight, like if I slightly raise my voice, she's like, mom, you're yelling at me. And I'm like, you don't know what yelling is kid. Yeah. yeah. um, So I'll just go put my hands over my chest and I'll say, okay. Like if I'm being impatient with her, I'll mm-hmm. say, all right, I need to take a heart moment and I need to take some deep breaths mm-hmm. and like move my body because that's how you release. Like part for me of releasing emotions is moving my body. Like I do still struggle sometimes. It's gotten much better with anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. right? I used to have a lot of anxiety about the safety of my daughter. Sure. I was terrified that she was going to be taken from me or something would happen to her. That has improved tremendously. Good. And that's, all the work we've been talking about. Um, But, you know, occasionally I'll have a morning where I wake up, I get her off to school and I'm like, all right, I work from home. I'm like, I just want to go crawl in my bed. Yeah. Uh, So that happened. I don't know. It was like two or three weeks ago um, where I had some minor outpatient surgery and I couldn't work out for two weeks. Mm -hmm. But I was still doing the yin yoga, but I was off my super healthy routine. And, um, it was funny. It was the day that they said, okay, now you can get back to your routine. I was like, I felt so depressed. I just wanted to lay in bed. Yeah. So I was like, all right, just go have your water. Like there's, even if there's just like one small habit, then you can stack the other healthy habits on top. Yeah. And then I just did a bunch of jumping jacks in the living room, walk my dog. I was like the, the physical really helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just accepting that the, there's going to be ups and downs. Um, for sure. For sure. So with your family and with, you know, your experience with people, it sounds like you still have a very positive outlook and in spite of it all, take steps to take care of yourself and others. So with that being said, have you found a chosen family that you kind of can lean upon or like, do you have friends in San Diego or? You know, I used to feel like I'm all alone. I'm all alone. Sure. And that was a negative talk because I'm not all alone. I do have a few, not a ton, but a few good friends in San Diego that I can talk to. And I do feel like uh, post COVID I've been trying to travel more to mm-hmm. see the family that I do enjoy being with back yeah. East in Massachusetts. Yeah. You know, yeah, I would like to have a bigger support network. So I think I try to do that as best I can, mm-hmm. but it's hard. Actually, like yeah. I work remote. I'm a single mom. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> and I think with COVID too, I mean, my, yeah, COVID uh, my family exactly. and I are, are, you know, we're pretty close. My extended all lives in Canada. I see them maybe once a year, maybe once every few years or not, none at all, you know, but yeah. my friends have become, you know, I kind of, in my mind, put that in a bucket. So I have two or three close friends, none of one of which lives in town. The others live all over the country. But it's kind of just knowing that there is good in the world, I think, is important to, yeah. for me to heal and self and forgive myself for 
choices mm-hmm. I've made or, and when you said I'm all alone, I'm all alone. I mean, there were not that you need my, I'm a stranger to you, but you don't need my validation there. You were alone. You know, you were very alone. Yeah, no, I was. So like <laughs> yeah. alone and not safe. It's hard to get over. Sure. But it's funny. Um, sure. So after all this happened, you know, my dad was still my dad, even after, you know, I was in the news, he murdered this other woman, he killed himself. Yeah. And I remember one time in front of me, uh, we were together with my older sister and they it was like a donut shop we went to. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, oh, this woman that we see at the donut shop, we think her husband is beating her. And or so there was this rumor. Sure. And my dad, my dad said in front of me, oh, that's so terrible that she's going through that. I've never known anyone that went through that. And I was just like, fucking kidding me? Oh, my God. But at some point, um, my, you know, it was when I was started law school. Yeah. You know, I, I hadn't started law school. I was an undergraduate at UMass Boston at night and I was working for a law firm during the day mm-hmm. and the people who ran the law firm were very generous. So they would give me cash Christmas bonus and they would give me, they were great that way. Yeah. You know, my dad and mom were obviously still married and I love my mom and I wanted to see her. So thankfully in like my mid to late twenties, I somehow came to the conclusion. I was like, my dad is not going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to choose the type of daughter I want to be. Mm. Yeah. So I was so proud of this. I would go over their house on Friday, on a Friday, like every other Friday, almost every Friday for a long time. That's a lot. And um, bring my mom flowers and hand them like $100 or $400. Wow. And they were like, oh, but I felt so proud. Mm-hmm. Right? But we didn't talk about anything. Sure. We didn't talk about anything that had happened. Sure. Um, when in my first year of law school during finals, so I was like, I was 30 when I started law school or 31, my dad was in for his second heart bypass operation because he has heart issues in his family. Mm-hmm. And when he went in, I just felt like he's, I knew he wasn't going to come out. Right. So I went to visit him in the hospital, um, to see him. And I called him up the night before the surgery and I said to him on the phone, I just want you to know that I love you and knew you were a good dad. And he didn't say anything because he was choked up. Oh, my and God. He should have died during the surgery. They kept restarting his heart. Whatever. He was like in a coma. And then he was not himself in a nursing home for a while before he died. But from my own self, I'm, I did it from myself. Sure. I'm trying to think why I went down that road. No, that's just about, you know, knowing that there's good in the world and like, Oh, knowing there's good in the world and just deciding what type of person do you want to be in the world? That's huge. And I still am a romantic and hopeful and things like that. But my focus is my daughter and my career. Yeah. Like if, if that ever happened, great. I can't imagine getting married, but I'm, you know, as, and mm-hmm. I would, you know, as it should be, right? Like your daughter yeah, and your yeah. career and your man yeah, will come and go, you know, yeah. as Cher says, you know, it's like, they're like dessert. I, lo- I mean, <laughs> they're great and all, but it's not the point of light. She's like, you don't need one to live, which I relate to. But, but yeah. I think just um, for young women too, to know like the stigma of this can happen to anybody. Sure. Not just somebody who's stupid or poor or doesn't have a good family cabin. And I think the most realistic depiction of domestic abuse 
in the media lately was on Big Little Lies, mm-hmm. where uh, Nicole Kidman is yep. an accomplished attorney and her husband's beating the crap out of her, mm-hmm. but she can't tell anybody. Because she's uh, so ashamed, yeah. Yeah, but, oh, he loves me and he's so good he's to so me. He's so hot and, and rich love. and, yeah. 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 And then... Uh, and it's and it's hard, too, because, you know, like you said, like you when you missed him, it's there are good times too, you know, no one comes out swinging, you know, you have to get you hooked in it first. So there are times where you won, won the Royal you, one would miss the romanticism of, and the euphoric recall of the good times. And you're kind of, I know I have pined for times that were good because I'm feeling sad and alone. And kind of being able to, with time, separate the truth from the false. Like, so the truth is that this person is sick and not for me or anyone for that matter. And and the false is that I, you know, I love him or he loves me. But it's hard because it's like when I'm in relationship as shitty as they may be, the love I feel is real. Yeah. You know, I love deeply and I love fully and I say what I mean and mean what I say. So if I'm in it with somebody, you know, I feel that way. And so despite their behavior, that doesn't change my level or capacity to love another human being. And I think that can kind of muddy my memory around a relationship if it ends up being really toxic. I can, I remember sometimes the good times being me loving that person or feeling the, the feelings of love because they are powerful feelings. Yeah. And there. I do think also some of the work is looking inward and recognizing the repeating patterns that you have. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I remember talking to somebody who was like, Oh, I always pick, I always end up with guys who are like unemployed or I always end up with the, I'm like, well, if you keep ending up with the same type of person, that's because you're choosing that type of person. Right. And a lot of the work I did with therapists was like recognizing red flags and uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, you can easily romanticize or make excuses. It's like when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Don't go, I'm going to change. He won't be, I'm going to change him. He won't be that way with me. No, he won't cheat on me. He won't. Yeah. You're not that special. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, I'm not God or the universe or. Yeah. You know, higher power. I, I'm not able to change a person at their core. They have to do that with the work that you mentioned. And so today, like you're so, so again, such an inspiring story. But are you so what do you do now? Like, are you a, do you speak? Do you are you an advocate? Like, talk to me about that. I mean, at the time this all happened, we went around and met with, like I said, um, if senators and the the mayor of Boston at the time, um, no, I mean I just work. I'm just I, I don't speak. I'm not speaking. Yeah. I mean, other than raising my daughter. Uh, yeah. Are you an attorney? No, I'm not a practicing attorney anymore. Yeah. I work for a tech firm up in uh, Silicon Valley, and I work remotely doing. You know, at my core, I'm a writer. Yeah. That's what I. You know, so I write for myself. I journal and I write short stories. And lately I've been saying, all right, I should try to start publishing again. When I wrote that article for the Boston Review in like 1991, uh, I had a publisher from New York reach out to me and say they wanted me to write a book. And 
But I was like 18. I couldn't deal with it. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. And I don't know if I would want to write about that now anyway. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, no, I just, you know, fully, I am supporting myself and my daughter. and Yeah, fully self-supporting. Like mm -hmm. Getting from one day to the next, but I feel like it's getting better as far as post-divorce, et cetera. Yeah. Coming up COVID, starting to have a little bit of a life again. Yeah. I think with COVID too, and that was, I kind of went off on a tangent as I tend to do, but it COVID made it like, we've not really healed fully from COVID. It's just like we all kind of started working again. So as far as being social and getting back out there, you know, it's tough. And I don't think we're yeah. talking about like that that we just kind of all of a sudden the rules changed and we were like back able to go back to work, you know, as things kind of weared away. So it's, I don't, it's can't believe it's 2023. It's, I mean, it still feels like 2018, 2019, like these years kind of just flew by and I don't know, it'll be interesting to see like the kind of collective trauma that we all experienced due to the COVID, you know, and how that will affect people moving forward. So I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what happens. For sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Rose. Yeah, it was good talking to you. Yeah. It was mm. good talk. It was good talking to you too. Yeah, um, it's uh it's it's good. It's interesting to talk about it again because I haven't really talked about it in a while. And I actually was when you contacted me, I was thinking about when will be the right age for my daughter to watch that? Not now. Mm -hmm. Maybe teenager yeah watch that uh discovery id because yeah. you know those things can be cheesy but i think they did a decent job <laughs> i think they did too you know that I, I was i like to watch that sort of stuff yeah and it's and i'm so glad that she gets to grow up in a loving home where i'm sure that's really yeah and, and absolutely raising her is a hundred percent reparenting myself oh for sure you know rehealing sure. yeah 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 but all right, I'll let you go. Thanks, Rose. Night. It was so nice okay. to talk to you. And when I when I'm on next time in San Diego, I'll definitely give you a ring. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. We are gonna jump into a meditation and wrap it up. I wanna just thank Rose again for jumping on with us. She's actually a summa cum laude, not a magna cum laude. So I just want to make that correction. With some research, I realized that she was actually selling herself short. Very humble. So just wanted to put that out there. She is a very accomplished academic in addition to overall Wonder Woman, mother, survivor, friend, certified badass, head bitch in charge. Thanks again, Rose, so much. Welcome to the meditation portion of the episode. Get in a soft position. Your body relaxed. Either sitting down or laying down. You can close your eyes if you're comfortable. 
or have a soft, faraway gaze with kind, loving eyes. Today we are going to discuss trust. When you're in a comfortable seated position or whatever position you want your body to be in, whatever feels right. I want you to get very comfortable focusing on your breath. What does it mean to truly trust? It means not having fear. It means knowing that there is no wrong path. There is no wrong decision. Do I trust my life? Do I trust that there are reasons why I do not have the things I want? Do I trust that there are reasons for the things of my past? Do I trust that despite all the pain, the disappointment, the loss, the loneliness, that the spirit of the universe the great reality who created the birds and the trees and us. Truly has my best interest at heart.
do I trust? Or am I willing to trust? That as things are taken away, the path is narrowing. You are being called to a higher purpose. You are in a shift. Where there is resistance, there is the most growth and there are the most blessings. If things feel hard in a certain area and the actions you are being called to do are difficult to complete, ask yourself why. Why are these things difficult to complete? Why am I not allowing myself to be free? Why is anxiety enveloping my joy. How can I deliver myself from whatever blockages are stopping me from completing the actions that are needed? to get to my dream. We trust that our breath will come. We trust that the cars behind us will stop. We trust that the gray clouds will release rain just like we trust that a strawberry will taste sweet. Looking back at all of the things that ended up being even better than we could have ever imagined. 
we know that there is something protecting and guiding us through all the seasons of hardship, of uncertainty, and of abundance. Am I willing to apply the trust I have in hindsight to all of my future endeavors? As fears, as hardships come up, Put your hand on your chest and the other hand on your stomach and chant to yourself, I trust my life, I trust my life, I trust my life, I trust my life. Try it a few times. This means I trust my life, the people in it, the happenings on, the deliverance, the gifts, the denials, the blessings, and realizing that they are all in the same, contributing to my path, on this planet, getting me to exactly where I need to be without rush and within perfect ease as so see fits the great reality. When you're ready, Open your eyes, wiggle your toes, familiarize yourself with the room, and remember, I trust my life. I trust my life. I trust my life. Namaste.